Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. This week, it's Part 2 of my conversation with Jamie Person, Paul Flaxman and Leo Hepler. We continue to explore Leo's experience of psychological well-being training whilst a student at Canada's National Ballet School. If you haven't heard Part 1, please feel free to head back and have a listen. Or dive straight into this one. You'll hear about how Jamie designed the training to support the development of a skillful relationship with the contents that our minds can produce. She describes how she used the experience of the context of the world of ballet in a way that was both curious and cautious. She didn't want to make too many assumptions. Paul reflects on the embodied nature of the new training protocol we've developed, because we find many people we train report feeling quite disconnected with sensations in their bodies. And he also reveals how the Flaxman manoeuvre was born. Leo continues to reflect on the impact of the training on his life in his characteristically thoughtful and insightful way. People Soup is a podcast that takes evidence-based psychology and behavioural science with the aim of making it accessible, fun and useful for people in the workplace and beyond. This is based upon a foundation of contextual behavioural science and other complementary psychological approaches. We aim to make our content interesting for humans. Whether you're curious about psychology in the workplace, a psychologist, a leader, a therapist, a team member, anyone really who reflects on how they show up at work. It was psychologist Abraham Maslow who said, a first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting. And that was the inspiration for this podcast. More than ever, the world of work is a heady mix of people, behaviour, events and challenges. When the blend is right, it can be first-rate. Behavioural science and psychology has a lot to offer in terms of recipes, ingredients, seasoning, spices and utensils. So welcome to People Soup. Before we go on, here's a review of episode one from Dr. Rose Horton-Smith. Fantastic episode, Ross. I thought the idea of an organisation or profession almost giving you your values was fascinating. Your warmth and conversation are as engaging as always. Rose, thank you so much for that. I so appreciate your support and encouragement in the ongoing development of this podcast. Right, let's crack on. Get a brew on and listen to part two of my conversation with Paul, Jamie and Leo. Let's move on to that, that mm-hmm. other pillar there that we call open, and that's usually labels something around skillfully relating to the inner world. And for me, in a way, that's kind of one of the most fun pillars to share with people. It's, it can be the most profound pillar mm-hmm. to share. But how, how did you approach it, Jamie? Well, I'm sort of trying to remember. So I think, Leo, did I introduce the metaphor of passengers on the bus? With you you guys? did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I introduce it with that metaphor. Generally, mm. that's what. The sort of how we talk about it first um, and spend some time kind of getting to know our passengers getting mm-hmm. them down on paper and do some sort of simple exercises you know of the sort I mean I think I've experimented with different ones over mm. the years um, but some of, I think some of the ones that that felt like they've been most useful with that group and that age group is in the way the kind of some of the simplest and kind of physical ones. So I don't know, did we do one where we kind of wrote on a piece of paper and we held it close and far away? And all mm. of that that might have been an adaption since your time, but... I have this image of you go, holding something up to your yeah. face really close to your eyes and then just sort of lowering it. Yeah. And just like this... Testing movement. that. Let's try that. Let's hold mm. it really close. Yeah. And let's just let it kind of sit away from us a little bit. What's the difference? Yeah, and just that movement it's almost like sign language so it tells me what i need to to do and sometimes i'm like whoa leo just (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. Just do this with your hands, just sort of, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, maybe, maybe again, because they're so in touch with their bodies, kind of physical stuff. It's making me seems think to be quite good. more and more about the work we do and, yeah. and bringing perhaps more of that physicality to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And actually, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's more of, I suppose, a way of summing up all of them. Um, but I think also it's a bit of a sort of diffusion, too, mm. is the Flaxman maneuver. I still love the Flaxman maneuver, just those <laughs> two sheets of paper and sort of showing us what we're trying to do. So we're kind of leaving our thoughts and our feelings they're still here we're not doing anything with them mm. but we're just trying to make our values more prominent yeah. right and i think again you know without kind of getting too deep it's sort of like oh okay mm. you know that's that's what we're trying to do and and for peace supers you may be a bit puzzled about yeah. the flexman <laughs> well, we it's the not in here it's we? not it's not one of paul's dance moves from, <laughs> from come on eileen it's actually i'll put photos of it on the show notes for this episode but it's it's a really it's a really low tech, yeah. simple way of just saying what we're trying to do in this type of training. We're trying to make our personal values a more prominent guide to to our actions. Yeah, how did you? Do, I'm so wondering. How did you get to the flaxman technique or maneuver? How did you? I remember working as a Swedish clinical psychologist working with me for a while. Uh, Mia Soderberg, just give her a shout out. Shout out to Mia. Yeah. yeah. And we were working actually in a central government agency with staff there. And it was, you know, the training programs kind of a lot of sitting around, a lot of words. Mm. We're thinking, what can we do that's more visual for the visual people in the room is what yeah. we were looking for. Because I'm quite a wordy person and I realize not everybody thinks in that way. So we wanted something visual. I, I can't remember how it started, but that's just uh, what's the simplest thing that we could do, and that's mm -hmm. how it started. Yeah. I'm really interested in the conversation, the, the, the way it's, it's talking about the body as well, because yeah. I think one of the great benefits of the new app protocol is it's a body-based protocol. And one, one thing we find with a lot of employees, you know, outside the dance world, is they're not very well connected with their bodies. You know, we're a very cognitive species, so. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason we do mindfulness work is to try and get people just a little bit more healthily connected to their body. And then you can kind of sense towards moves then in a way moves without overthinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I, I just wonder if that's one reason why dancers have shown such interest in this approach, because the body work is, is so natural. Yeah, I think there's some things that lend itself really well and... There's a kind of instant understanding, like I said, because dancers are so connected to their bodies. But but then I'd kind of go back to that thing that it's a sort of double-edged sword because the connection to the body is also sometimes quite judgy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of, it's it's trying to work around that, you mm -hmm. know, of, of yes, we can connect to our bodies, but what else are we doing? Because then we're thinking a lot of things. And, and even as a remedy to that, like, yeah. like sort of, let's fix how we look at the bodies and... and and sort of rewire some of the conversations we have. Yeah, what would it be like to kind of experience our bodies in this way where we're not constantly judging it mm -hmm. and thinking, how do I improve it and mm -hmm. all of that? And I mean, there's even one thing which I sort of sometimes talk about with dancers is, and I suppose it's kind of quite a personal reflection, but it was something I noticed with some of the, the mindfulness practices where there's a lot of focus on breath in mm -hmm. the stomach. And... As a dancer, it's part of the training, and it's also there's a you know it's it's the costumes that you tend to wear as well. You're very restricted in your center, you know. There's like that's your kind of that's your strength center, your abdomen, 
and it's almost quite fixed and hard. So I remember it took me a really long time to actually feel comfortable with relaxing my abdomen enough to really breathe and allow it to expand. And mm. Because in a way you kind of learn as a dancer a different way of breathing, which is much higher up. It's sort of more in the, in the ribs um, you can still and hold the chest. Your so you can still hold your... And also like particularly women's costumes are very, very tight around mm. the waist and you're partnered around the waist and the pelvis. So you can't kind of expansively breathe in that part of your body. And that becomes just a habit, which, you know, mm. I've been retired for almost 13 years now, and I still walk around with quite a tense stomach mm. because it's just, I had so many years of that training. Mm-hmm. So I think that's quite an interesting thing with dancers is kind of, you know, it's like, are you willing to kind of like do this? It feels a bit sort of, you know, oh my God, can I actually relax my stomach? <laughs> that's, that's radical in the dance world, you know. So yeah, so that kind of, that um, embodied thing is complicated with dancers. I think they can connect with it very easily, but there's also a lot that's layered onto it in mm. terms of, you know, the cognition around it. Yeah, it's almost yeah, ducking below some of those layers of cognitive stuff. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first spoke to you about it, I remember when you were on the course. And yeah. You really surprised me because I think, I think I said something like, oh, this must be second nature to use mm. bodywork. And you said, well, actually... Because I've trained quite hard to avoid thinking about pain in my body. Yeah. You had to sort of retrain that a little bit. And that stuck with me. Yeah, so there's that too. You know, is this, you can, dancers are hyper aware of their bodies. But at the same time, yes, have to develop that skill of kind Mm -hmm. of almost shutting off warning signs, aspects, things that aren't going to be helpful to performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and yeah, so, so that's that's a kind of interesting thing to bring to it it's i'm making a little bit of a leap here but the other thing because it reminds me of early conversation that we had paul around perfectionism and i have to say i'm coming around because i think i was quite defensive about perfectionism when we first started talking about it in dance yeah and i've been doing more and more reading about it um just to kind of support me in my work with dancers and with athletes and um and it's such a complicated area but um there are certain adaptions I think I've made to the work that I do with dancers, which is specifically kind of reflective of some of the ways that people who have perfectionistic tendencies might take some of the material. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this kind of idea, for example, like if there's practices that are done or the mindfulness practices in session, but also the stuff outside of session too. And this, the kind of diffusion stuff around how we're relating to our inner worlds. I think, you know, with some of the people that I work with, it's really important because they're very good at fixing stuff. They're kind of very good at, you know, there's a problem and I'm going to do something to fix it. Mm-hmm. So kind of bringing in this idea that sometimes we're just not trying to fix stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't need to fix things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be really careful in the sessions and listen out for some of the signs that people might be, using some of these techniques as another rod mm. for their back yeah mm. it's quite it's common yeah and i think the facilitation of it is like hard isn't it because mm. it's kind of most people we train are expert problem solvers you know that's what they do that's how they live their lives and we go into the room using this approach and we're not going to solve problems we're mm. just going to ask people to notice stuff about their lives and that's it. If they've noticed something, we say, great work. Yeah. And that's unusual. And it's unusual for the train. It's unusual for the group. And, but it's in its unusual nature that yeah. 
you get some real wins, I think, you know. Yeah. I'm so glad you talked about just the perfectionism mm. sort of element. It really sort of, yeah, it, it speaks to me fundamentally in a lot yeah. of ways. Uh, and um, I, I, I have this memory of, I think it was you who used this line when we were doing a mindfulness practice, I think just of sitting in the room and mm-hmm. sort of really being in the room. I think you used the phrase, a lifetime of gentle returns. Mm-hmm. And um, that phrase has come back to me quite a few times sort of in, in, in different moments, sort of almost ironically, it's returned to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just really interested in that idea of it's a, again, it's a value um, instead of sort of, you know, getting to your goals and just fixing things and, and as establishing the problem and establishing the solution and applying the solution. It can be more of just an existence with and you gently return to the things that you're interested in and 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 you can have problems but they're they're not the end of the world and and it's it was just a whole sort of different approach that i'm really glad that i got to hear at that time in my life wow that's one of that's one of my personal favorite quotes about Mm -hmm. that lifetime of gentle return yeah i think it's so powerful that's something i personally draw up on Mm -hmm. and i think so relevant for kind of people who are very high functioning, high performance, you know, I mean, anyone who I work with in a ballet school or a ballet company by definition is masterful at what they do, Mm. you know, has kind of beat the odds to get where they are. Um, But part of that means that they also are super critical. That's, you know, part of the reason they've been so successful and they've gotten where they have. Mm -hmm. So this kind of idea that we can kind of let go of, constant moving forward mm. for a little while even is quite it's quite nice isn't it yeah yeah in some ways diffusion continues to be one of the trickier things with this age group i think you know you know leo said you're quite analytical i think that's a feature of sort of 16 to 18 year olds again particularly sort of quite high performing mm. um, people at that age is they sort of really want to understand it and get in it and everything. And it's so easy with act stuff to get, like you said, overly wordy and overly in our Mm. heads. And I think with that stuff, the diffusion stuff, it can, if you're not careful, it can really go down Mm. that road. It sort of becomes quite philosophical Mm. and you talk about it a lot rather than doing it. Mm, It's not working. It's interesting, you know, Leo demonstrated it with his body in here, didn't he? Yeah. Like, you know, just sort of saying, you know, often we're caught up with our internal stuff and it's here and, and all we're doing really is getting a bit of distance, step mm-hmm. back and have a look at it. So, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes diffusion gets woven in in quite subtle ways, yeah. even if, you know, some of those techniques you sense, or this is not hitting with all people in the room. So. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. what I've, I've found is sort of recognising it's, it's, of course, of these things, it's, you've said it all, and you said it for years, and I remember even at some of our first lectures of, you know, demonstrating it through like using the material in the room Mm. kind of and demonstrating diffusion in your responses to people Mm. you know that that's often the most effective in these sort of sessions rather than doing kind of formal exercises Mm. to get it that that modeling yeah the modeling modeling of the the approach but also sometimes the self-disclosure yeah yeah and that's where i think it's so rich getting feedback from participants but also Mm. getting feedback from the trainer who understands the the context yeah yeah no and then so i mean we do use i do use a little bit of disclosure it'll happen less and less as 
in a way, there's more distance between my career as a dancer mm-hmm. and my career as a, as a psychologist. Because, you know, Leo, even though there's a really big age difference between us, Leo and his generation would know me by name as a dancer, mm. as a professional dancer. And so I think I'm always like really careful with how much I bring myself and my experiences to it because I don't want to kind of play into that too much. Mm. Um, I don't know, Leo, how you feel about it, but, but I mean, you probably had heard my name before I first worked with you. And so there's kind of, there's already sort of assumptions mm. that come into the room. So I guess I'm really, I'm quite careful with the disclosure that it doesn't, that it's a sort of disclosure that brings us closer and it feels like we're, you know, we're all in the same boat, mm. not a kind of, I'm an expert and... I think you did that really well, actually, and and um, especially using the fact that you were an, an alumni of the school, mm-hmm. of the same school, and that you could come back and we've, I mean, like we just said, we shared a house parent, like yeah. that's, I think that was really the key in, in sort of trust in, in, in the in the room and the fact that we could see ourselves in you and in your life mm-hmm. and we didn't only see you as an idol of course we would have but but that also you could have you could have been us you yes know, yes some 15 years ago yeah, yeah that was yeah. exciting thank you for that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's kind of it's a fine line that one mm. you know and I definitely benefit from having a room of people who feel understood when I come in because I also have been through the same things. Mm-hmm. But that that also I have to be careful with that, you know, that I'm not making assumptions mm-hmm. about your experiences because mm-hmm. I was a student a long time ago and things have probably moved on a lot and the right. career yeah. the industry's moved on as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's quite helpful to sort of for them to see that yes, mm-hmm. even someone who had quite a successful career um, is essentially still yeah, struggling with the same stuff, and and you're also modelling. I know yeah. you're modelling that curiosity as yeah. well. Yeah. So you're not saying this is definitively this was my experience, so this will be your experience. Yeah. You're doing it kind of tentatively. Yeah, yeah, and checking in with them as well. Yeah, I think that um, in my experience in my sort of new ballet school, that's that has been a really key element I've realised in 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 maybe just for me personally, my learning style it is about um can be about making mistakes and being vulnerable as well as sort of this idea of perfection you were you were talking about how sort of at the end of you as this figure at the end of your career Mm -hmm. you still were asking these questions and with sort of being an explorer and i think that when you come into these institutions very driven at a young age say 13 Mm -hmm. like those are still very much your formative years and Mm -hmm. so if you're away from your parents, especially, you can look to your teachers almost as if they've had successful careers and if they've been, you know, if they've done it, what mm. you were trying to do, it's very easy to to sort of cut and paste all, all of the corrections, everything, and, and, and really follow every instruction to mm. the, you know, to the T. And then I, it's sort of when you get to a, a bit older, you, you get to an age where you realize that maybe they you know, weren't these perfect beings as well who had their own perfect lives and have been giving you your your own perfect life for the past five years that you it's 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 never gonna be that simple. And so that Jamie came in as a figure um who wasn't, you know, a, an authoritarian success story, but someone mm. who who became a principal dancer very young and then sort of transitioned into something else that fit mm. her needs more and she sort of reevaluated her life was a very sort of progressive image to, mm. to have and, and that it was showcased like that was really 
positive, I think, mm. for, for those students. Thank you. Lovely. Lovely bit of role modeling, Jamie. And Jamie, I'm just interested, have you, are you now using the matrix? Yes, yes. So um, this might be a sort of another progression from my point of view, Leo, but there's this this sort of tool, the matrix, Mm. which I'm now using a lot, really, with all of my act work, Mm. um, not just with dancers, to kind of, in lots of different ways, so to organize the different the different sort of processes, skills that mm. we're talking about as a tool to work through individual challenges and issues, as a tool to use as a group. Um, I've used it just as a kind of warm-up and, and kind of setting the scene for this session that we're going to do together. So, mm. you know, what would be the sort of behaviours that would really support us having a, you know, a good session mm. where people can be really open and honest? Mm. So I've used it in that kind of way and I've used it in bigger ways. Wow. Yeah. And I think... One of the most gratifying moments for me was at Scottish Ballet, where we were fortunate enough to have three sessions over three days. Mm. And we finished with um, getting some of that special tape yes. on the floor in the studio and actually using this tool called the Matrix to get them to walk around the Matrix. Mm-hmm. It's another very physical thing. We'll explain to you later. We'll, mm. we'll do it in the kitchen. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the sort of latest iteration of the, the protocol. So guys, I'm going to try and bring this to to a close. I'd, I'd love to chat all all evening, but I think we have a date with um, some pizza and some beer. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask if anyone's got any any final reflections just for our pea supers out there, Jamie. Yeah, well, I mean, I think my sort of main feeling about this work is, um, and I think, you know, as in part I want to say it because he's in the room, but I mean, it was such a lucky thing to come across Dr. Paul Flaxman. Um, yeah. Who, who introduced me to, to ACT and really generously supported the beginnings of my development using it as an approach. Um, but then also just the great privilege of working with young dancers at that age, you know. Sort of, I mean, how lucky am I to be to sort of be let loose with sort of 16 to 19 year olds like you said Leo such a kind of formative time of life you know a group of people who are so kind of open and and excited about life and particularly I remember you know the value stuff every group of dancers young dancers I've worked with they've just really loved that and run with it you know it's so so I guess my my final reflection is I just feel very very lucky with where Mm. I've landed in my career to be using ACT and applying it with mm. such an interesting group of people. Thank you. Paul, I'm going to come to you. Any, any, mm. any final oh, Thanks for that. Yeah. That's very, it means a lot to me hearing things like that. Yeah. But I just think it's wonderful that you're taking it out into this world. You know, it's not a world that I ever would have got access to or know anything about. And yeah, it's just, I'm talking to a lot of people about it, how it's being used with ballet dancers. Everyone's really interested in that, you know, when we go in and talk mm. at NHS Trust. So, yeah, it feels like something very big has happened here and all the different ballet companies you work with. So, yeah, I hope we can spread the word a little bit more about what you've been doing. I think it's unusual. I don't think there's many people in the world using this type of approach with this type of uh, population. So, yeah, well, I hope this is one way we get it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leo, any, any, any reflections from you? Mm-hmm. Maybe I would just say, yeah, Paul, you just said that it, it seems like a very big thing that's happening. And, mm-hmm. and I agree that... Um, 
we're maybe on a new wave um, of sort of healthcare in, in ballet companies and it, it's gaining a lot of momentum sort of the um, development of these healthcare programs and I think that as much as we can start to incorporate things like this and, and this sort of protocol it will be really 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 helpful for dancers and probably a whole bunch of other fields that we haven't even thought of yet you know mm. well we've just been hearing that Jamie is working with figure skaters oh, yeah. which is an exciting new development but that's that's going to be I'm going to reserve that, that for, for, for your your personal episode yeah <laughs> awesome guys I'd just like to say a really sincere thank you to you all um, Paul my partner in crime forward slash act thank you for taking the time Jamie pioneering work legend I love the way you've you've gained access to these different populations and you you're getting it into these different work environments. I think it's phenomenal. Leo, thank you so much for your openness, for your willingness to join us and, and talk through your experience of this training. It means means a lot to me personally, but it's so great to hear what you got out of it. So there's a word I want to use and I've seen it on the ballet dancers I follow on Twitter and Instagram. And I've never actually used this word in my life before. Chuckers. <laughs> is that how you say it? Chuckers. Yeah. What does yeah. it mean? You two are looking blank at me well, now. Well, it's a, it's a kind of good luck thing. Is it like it? break a leg? Yeah, yeah. But have you ever used it in your life, right? No, it's it's quite a... Should I not use this? No, it's a British one. Ah, so yeah, the thing. sorry. There's kind of different international versions. So what would I say in a, for, for Canada or for your new ballet company? Is there anything in Dutch I could say? There's oh. so many different ones. There's Toy Toy. Yeah. Toy. What do you... Toy Toy. I, it's funny that you say it's British because, yeah. yeah, I had my um, a show just the other week and, and my, my teacher said Chuck, said chukas at me and I, and I looked at her and I said, what does that mean? And she just she said... <gasps> I'm so glad I asked. <laughs> yeah, but but I... She she just said it just means good luck. So, okay. I mean, it's, it's very nice that you're saying it now, but you probably should have said it before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. This is my first time doing something like this. It's very scary. <laughs> There's some also quite rude ones that we probably oh, couldn't yeah. say too. Mm. Oh, you can. We can do it on the podcast after dark. <laughs> that episode. But yeah, Toy Toy. I yeah. Think was the where, where does that come from? I'm sure it's Russian or something. Yeah. I thought it, I think it's supposed to be a spitting sound. They oh, spit that sounds good. At the, the one toy toy at the ghost's behind your shoulders or oh something. Oh my god, I didn't even This know is what that. I've heard. I love it. Yeah. But I kind of digress. completely making that up. But uh, let's go with that. Let's, <laughs> let's forget with my failed attempt to say chuckers. And let's just say thank you so much and very best wishes for your next chapter at the, in Amsterdam. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thanks so much for uh, the conversation. Thanks so much to Jamie, Paul and Leo for coming on the podcast. They've really given us a great insight into the context of the world of ballet, as well as how we develop the training and how we adapt it to different environments. Leo talked about a lifetime of gentle returns, and I thought it might be nice to share the whole quote with you. And the quote is from Kelly G. Wilson, 2009, and it's from his book Mindfulness for Two. And he talked about how no one lived in accordance with their values all the time. Some days, some moments, we will be well-oriented within that pattern of living by our values. Other days, other moments, we'll find ourselves at odds with our values. In that moment, the moment in which we notice that we're out of alignment with our value, can we pause, notice our dislocation, and gently return? 
It's difficult to imagine a value of any magnitude that will not involve a lifetime of gentle returns. And I'll put that quote on the show notes as well for this episode, which you can find at peoplesoup.co. I'll also include an explanation of the Flaxman manoeuvre, which we mention in this episode. If you like this episode or the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm really keen to spread the behavioural science and the skills with more people. You can get in touch with us at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we're at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and to you, dear P-Supers, for listening. Have a great week and bye for now. Um, I think I'm going to go with Raspberry Beret. Not because it's the coolest Prince song, but because it's the one that was like, I remember in my youth. And is there a particular section you'd have playing when you enter a room? Is it that chorus? Yeah, I think it's the chorus. And also it feels kind of summery, doesn't it? Mm.